church. How many believe in the glorious church? If I was to say what the term glorious means, what would you say? Go ahead, Tony. You've got an answer. You always got an answer. Anybody else got a... What's a glorious church? Raise your hand good and high. Come on, Sherry. What's what's a glorious church? Glorious church. Represents His glory. Very good. All right, let's read Ephesians 1, 9 through 14. And then we're going to go to Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In other words, God talks to himself. Anytime that you have someone say, well, who was Jesus talking to if there's not more than one? He talks to himself because he counsels after his own will. And that's exactly what that means. And only that, we look at being predestinated. So if that be the case in predestination, then no matter what you do, you're predestined. If God's going to... Going to, to if, come, don't shake your head at me. If, God, if God's going to... Uh, if God's, you know, you're going to be saved no matter what, right? If you're predestined to be saved no matter what. You don't have to do anything. You're just predestined. Is that false doctrine? Do you realize how many people, how many conversations I've had with people through the years who believe they had just enough information to believe in predestination being that no matter what you do or who you are, if you're predestined to be saved. In fact, that comes from the Branhamites. That's where that originated from. The only thing that's predestined is what? Anybody? The church, the body of Christ. The church is predestined to be saved, but you have to make choices whether you are a part of that church or not. All right, you got that? I got, you should have seen Bob. He thought, sure, I'd gone off on Branhamite doctrine. <laughs> you know, I love to shake people up, especially on Sunday morning just a little bit, because you're all kind of sleepy. You stayed up way too late last night watching Star Trek reruns. <laughs> oh, let's move on here. <laughs> <laughs> that we should be the praise, verse 12 says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ and whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Colossians 1.26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches and the glory of, his, of this. Notice the term mystery comes up again. Of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You may be seated. Every time I see the term mystery, I, I go back to my early days when I used to go to uh, uh, the uh, whatever it is, UPC, what is it, help me, 
convince you, yeah, yeah, whatever it is. I used to go, Brother Urshan always, uh, always preached, and he would preach. Every time I ever went to one of those, he would preach pretty much the same message, and he would bring out the mystery. And, and that is stuck in my mind that he'd always preach. And it was uh, it, with him the, the anointing of the fact that this mystery has been revealed to us. How it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. How the Holy Ghost is the, the revelation of the mystery. And, and he, always, uh, he always was so in tune with that, that. He was so grateful, so thankful that God revealed the mystery that was hidden throughout the ages. The Old Testament prophets desired to look into Angels desired to look into it. Uh, everyone desired to look into it, but it was revealed to us, the church. And by the fact that you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God has revealed a mystery to you. And it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be full, full of the Holy Ghost, to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now, the true church... Now, you better stay with me today because I may just really get on some things that I'm going to try to shake you up with and, and see if you're with me. I'm going to see if you're listening. The true church is a building. No. What? No. It's not? No. The true church is an edifice. The true church is a tabernacle. Okay, the true church is a tabernacle. Tabernacle made with concrete, drywall, carpet. No. The true church is a tabernacle made by... Phyllis, are you a tabernacle? Well, you are. Yeah, you are. You are. You're a tabernacle. You're a tabernacle. So the true church is a tabernacle, but that tabernacle is a human being. We are the true church. Now, there is nothing wrong with beautiful buildings. We should have them because I've always believed a nice building shows what we think of God. But I also believe this, that how we act and how we look also shows you how what we think of God. And it goes in both cases. You know, the world looks a lot of times... There's nothing worse to me than going up to a church where the yard needs to be mowed, where there's trash everywhere, and when you can't get into church when it's time for church to start. And when you... You know, there's nothing because that lets me know that everybody thinks in terms of, you know, this is what the world sees. And they're not going to look at us unless we can show them that we have something more than this world has. Unless we can show them that we think something special of our God. You know, we've got a... I heard something the other day, and I just... just It's a point. It was a, it was a testimony of a Muslim. And this, in this testimony of this Muslim, he said he could never understand Christianity because they had a Father, a Son, and a Holy Ghost, and that's three no matter what. Now, this was... This was nothing to do with the UPC. This was just a Muslim making this statement of why he could not understand Christianity. Because the Muslims believe in one God. And you see, we are the true Christian church because of what? Because we believe in one God, and that one God was manifested to us by and through the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But it's a Father in creation, the Son in salvation, and the Holy Ghost in regeneration. Not three different gods, but just the manifestations of God and how He reveals Himself to us. And, you know, that is so, 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 you know, we have to show the right thing. It's no wonder people feel the way they do. I, I, let me just take this one step further. 
You understand something. I'm, I'm anti-Islam. Okay. But yet, on the other side of it, you look at what, what they see in Christianity. A bunch of people who claim to be Christians who dress like the world. They dress immodestly. They, you know, they say one thing out of one side of their mouth and they do something else. They're double-minded. This is what they look at. And when we come over there and we try to give them uh, liberty, freedom, then they see what we have when in essence there is a real. But, but by the fact that we're not showing them that real, that turns them off. That, that goes all the way back, and I've, I've said this before, this goes all the way back to Muhammad. The one reason he started the Muslim religion was because he was involved in Catholicism and he couldn't understand it. And that is, continues to go on. Because we have not allowed ourselves to show forth what reality is and what true Christianity is, it's turned a lot of people off. People don't like the term Christian. Uh, another case in point, I, I read this this recent, I think it was in the paper. I read it, and I shouldn't be reading the editorials. You know I get into that. But I, I read this, but this guy had a great point. He said, you know, you got Christians who say you, can, you, you, know, you can't be good without God. But he said, yet you got one side of Christianity who says, uh, therefore, therefore, you know, you, nothing. You know, we, we need to go back to the completely conservative uh, way of thinking, and uh, we, you know, we should be anti-abortion, do all this, which we should be. But he said, you have another side of Christianity is for giving everything to everybody, and they both claim to be Christians. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have the two opposite ends of the polls, and what we know is the Republicans and Democrats, the you know conservatives and the liberals, and you've got Christians who are on both sides of this, and yet they claim to both be Christians, and they claim the Bible to be their you know that this is what they base everything on. But yet you see that there has to be a real. And the only way to get the real is for us to get our heads into the book and find out what is real. You know, it's not enough just to listen to somebody on Sunday morning preach personal ideas. It's something else for you to get into the book, into the Word of God, and to find out whether these things be so. These were more noble than the Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether these things be true or not. You need to search the Scriptures daily. It's not enough. People would like to just hide their head in the sand and say, well, I don't believe we need a standard. I don't believe we need holiness. We do need holiness. We do need purity. We do need righteousness. And it's got to be through Him that we receive this. Well, here we go. I was going to read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Put it up. I use this one a lot. You can read it. The Apostle Paul emphasized that the church is to be a glorious church in Ephesians 5, 27. The Greek word translated glorious refers to being held in honor, of high repute, to have glory, splendid, glorious. Basically, the church is composed of people who have turned from their old lives of sin to, li- to, to lives completely dedicated to God. Church buildings are only edifices that are, provide a meeting place for the members of the church. Believers have met in caves. Believers have met uh, under trees. Uh, I remember Brother Wolfram said that when he was in Vietnam preaching that they met on the beach. And he said you had to look like you weren't doing anything. You had to hide the Bible. He said, because you just had to be real cautious that you didn't get caught. But that doesn't make any difference. They managed to do it. He said that over there that, that, that you didn't know. They did not tell you 
where church was going to be held if they tried to hold the service. He said, all you were told is to meet somebody on a particular road. And he said a lot of times he'd meet somebody and he said he'd get on the back of a motorcycle and they'd take off. He didn't have a clue where they were going. But they would find some place, whether it be in the jungle, whether it be in someone's basement, whatever it is, but they would have church. But nobody knew. All they knew was they're going to meet this one person here. And from there, everything was put together. But you understand that when you want to have church, you're going to have church. Do you understand that, 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 that people, my God, you, I, I, I look at this and we have set times to have service and it's hard sometimes to get people, oh, I don't know if I want to go or not. Well, people, when they can't have it, they do anything to get to church. They do anything to be able to worship together. I think every one of us in America ought to be ashamed of ourselves because of the liberty and the freedom we have in the Spirit, because of the opportunities that we have to worship and to love God and to do what we, we ought to be embarrassed the purity, the opportunity. But yet, you know, it's hard to get people. You know, I'm just too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too this. We all are. Everybody is. We have emotional tiredness. But I believe that God can elevate us above that. I believe being a part of a glorious church means that God's glory will take us. When we give our effort, when we make an effort to get into the church, when we make an effort to worship God, God will meet with us. God will give us the strength. God will encourage us. God will do for us what we need to have done for us. You know, you look, and I believe this. I, I, I believe in comfortable buildings. I, I, I believe we should have them. And I believe that it does show something to the world outside. But yet we also have to, see, have to look at what Paul said. He said that God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. In Acts 17.24, called out believers, comprised the New Testament church. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, outwardly the tabernacle of the Old Testament was not an imposing structure. You, if you look at the tabernacle, and the outside of the tabernacle was covered with badger skins. Do you know how many badger skins that would have taken? you imagine how much that sowing somebody would have to do? You know, a badger's about the size of a groundhog. You know what a groundhog would woodchuck? How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck woodchuck wood? You sing that real fast. It's about, that, it's about the size of that. Do you realize that? You put Patsy to sowing, and she, where is she? I don't see her. She's somewhere else. Well, we'll put Walena to sewing woodchuck skins together to cover the outside of a tabernacle. Well, first off, you'd have to have Doug go out and kill all those things. It'd take him a long time to get that many together. And so you have so this. But you can imagine, you look at this, and you've got this outside covering of this tabernacle, all the badger skins. Hairy, stinky. They probably didn't tan them all that well. But it wasn't a matter of what was out. It was, it was the inner part. And that's, that's, this, is what, this is what he was trying to, the, the tabernacle was showing you. Inside was all gold. You went on one side, you had, the, you had the table of showbread. On the other side, you had the menorah, the golden candlestick. And right in front of the holiest of all, you had the, the altar of incense. All of these were made of gold. All the utensils were made of gold. And it was, this was the point here that the holy place, all this was for a sweet smell to God. And as the beauty of the tabernacle was inward and not outward, so is the beauty of the New Testament church. The beauty of the church is seen within the believers who comprise the church as a glorious, because as believers are glorious, but, but you know, before the Lord. And as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we are pure, we are freed from sin, and completely dedicated to God. This if there is anything that we still need more than... than I, I've seen people get dedicated to everything except God. Yeah. 
And I'm, I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about out in the world. I've seen people dedicated to one aspect of the church. Some people, the only reason they come is because they want to listen to the music. Some people, the only reason they come is so they, so they can hear the Word of God preached. Some people, the, the only reason they come is because, you know, their, their son or son-in-law is a part of the, the leadership. You know, that is some... And they get dedicated to people or to things instead of being dedicated to God. It is a balance is what we need. I come to be fed by the Word of God. I come to worship. I come because I, I believe that my brothers and sisters are there. I need their fellowship. I need their prayers. This is a house of prayer. I need all that. It is the balance. I am not dedicated to one aspect. I'm not dedicated because i got money invested in the edifice. I am dedicated because this is where I go to worship and to love God. Paul referred to the hope of the, of the Christian in his letter to the Corinthian church. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope is not based in this world. Rather, we long to be with our Lord when this life on earth is completed. God's Word presents this great event in terms of a marriage. And Paul assured believers that, that Christ loves the church like a husband loves his wife, and to such an extent that he gave his life for our salvation, Ephesians 5.25. We were all sinners at one time, in Romans 3.23. But our, our merciful God has provided the means for our cleansing. We can now be received by him as members of his family. But he respects us, to, or expects us rather, to be pure and holy without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Jesus wants a pure church. He wants purity. He wants purity in His people. And that's more than just an outward sign. It's an inward sign as well. I abide by God's holiness because I love God. I abide, and I'll come back to this probably in a moment, I abide by standards because not of legalism, not of some kind of judicial thing, but it's because I love God. I fell in love with God the moment I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I have, been, I have gone beyond because I just love God. I don't want in any way, for one that has pulled me out of so much, I don't want to be disappointing to Him. I don't care what my life is. I don't care what I feel that, that, that whether I get upset because God has done this or hasn't done that. It doesn't matter to me. What God did for me one time about 28, 29 years ago was enough for me to want to please Him the rest of my life in spite of what's happened. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's what God pulled you out of. If the Holy Ghost didn't show you things to come, if the Holy Ghost didn't lead you into all truth, which it does, the fact that you have got resurrection power inside of you is enough to take you all the way. I love Him every day of my life. I appreciate Him because of everything that He has done, but more than anything because He placed resurrection power inside of me. The grave will not hold me down. There will be one day a rapture of the church, and if I live to see the rapture, I'm going to be changed and put on a body like it under His glorious body. I'm going to have that because 
I'm a part of His church. I have been filled with His Spirit. I've been given resurrection power. Why shouldn't I love Him? Why shouldn't I lift Him up? Why shouldn't I worship Him? Why shouldn't I give Him a little bit of the glory back that He has instilled in me? Why shouldn't I do this? You know, Christian believers are a priesthood. And when I said Jesus wants a pure church, our spiritual purity, our priesthood, if you would, is what makes us glorious to the Lord and to the world. Moreover, only the pure in heart is going to inhabit New Jerusalem. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and 8, but the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Paul listed 17 works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19-21. He ended the passage by stating that those who were guilty of these sins would not enter the kingdom of heaven. Believers must have no spiritual defect. This is the priesthood. The priest could not have any physical defect. But a spiritual priest, and you can read that in Exodus 19.22 and Leviticus 23. But as spiritual priests, we have, should have no spiritual defects, no spiritual decay. Nor can we have be deformed or disfigured spiritually in any manner. And the law of Moses is very clear regarding these qualifications. So we have to be clear of any defects. Christian believers are the priesthood of the New Testament in 1 Peter 2.9. And God expects us to be completely free from the desires of this ungodly world. We may not be perfect, but we can and must grow towards perfection. Now, holy refers to God's virtue. That God is holy means He possesses perfect virtue and character. He alone is the Holy One. And our success as Christian believers is dependent upon our yielding to Him and experiencing spiritual growth. Psalms 127 and 1 reveals that we are completely dependent on God. We depend on Him to meet our physical and our spiritual needs. It is impossible for a person to obtain salvation through any goodness on his own part. Rather, only God can forgive sins. Through repentance of sins, we are able to experience God's forgiveness and of sins and the initiation of a genuine relationship with Him. Water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ facilitates the remission of our sins and the Lord fills us with his Holy Spirit and as we walk to the power and the guidance or walk in the power and the guidance of the Holy Ghost, our relationship with Jesus grows and deepens. And that is why that there cannot be an end to our relationship or let's say relational growth. We cannot find a point where we stop. When we do, then we can't help but go backwards. Relationship is, is, is a balanced thing. It's no matter what, we cannot... <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that sometimes people, in their relationship with God, they try to get out and, and move into areas that they don't belong in. And I thought one of the best ideas Christian in the Bible depicts us as being the body of Christ. And, and I, I, I thought, you know, what if the foot decided it was a better speaker than the mouth? Then you would have foot in the mouth. And that's exactly what you have a lot of times. When people try to get into areas that they don't belong, then you have foot in the mouth. 
And, 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 and God knows that there is a time that we grow, but we have to let the growth be balanced. I cannot put somebody in an area that doesn't belong in that area because when you do that, then you have a problem. When a person begins to think that they've grown into something when they have not really completely fulfilled a ministry that they have, then they they get themselves in a frustrated area, a place where they just simply don't belong and and they keep trying to make things work when it can't work. When there's so many areas in the church that need so much help and so many people just cannot quite grasp what their relationship and how that relationship can grow. God can change ministries. He can put you in one area and then you can grow in that area. But, but I've always seen throughout the years one thing. When a person fails to grow in the area that they're in, they never can get in anything else until they fulfill that particular ministry that God has put them in at that particular time. That's where the old saying is that your bloom will you're planted. If you don't bloom where you're planted, you're never going to be transplanted. Now, we have to grow in our relationship with Him. And as as we live our life as true believers, we follow and obey uh, the Holy Ghost direction, overcoming temptation, nurturing our relationship with Him. This is possible only as we develop a complete dependence upon the Lord and His holiness. Holy denotes consecration to God. One dictionary... It's interesting. I want to just see if you, you feel this is right. One dictionary defines uh, one who is holy as one who is free from sin. Is that a proper definition of holiness? Anybody? Raise your hand. Good and look at me real good, and I'll call on you. Go ahead. No, you're, you're right. It, 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 is, it is right as far as it goes. But that's just, that's just the whole point. That only takes it so far. Yes, we are to be free from sin because of what you just said. He sees, he sees us free from, covered by the blood. He sees that. Now, this is true, but, but it, involves, it involves much more than that. The Greek word translated as holy includes the concept of being completely dedicated to God. That is what it, 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 uh, it denotes this. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon, holy means properly reverent, worthy of veneration, used of things which on account of some connection with God possesses a certain distinction and claim to reverence as places sacred to God which are not to be profane, of persons whose services God employs, set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively His, in a moral sense, pure, sinless, upright, and holy. So it's a, it's a dedication. Holy is set apart. It is completely dedicated to what we are. I, I've, I've, there again, you know, you, I've, I come back to this a lot. Um, I always feel like that you, there, there's that area that I, I want to break through. And, and part of it is, is purity. And You see, I, I still believe, and I'll probably preach this till the day I die, and then you'll be glad to get, stop me from hearing, stop hearing it. I still believe that there is such a place that you can get in God where people are moved to want to be like you simply by you being in their presence. <clears throat> now, you can believe that or not. I don't really care. I, I know it to be true. Uh, you can see that this is the reason the apostles had such i mean they had they had they stirred up messes wherever they went or they had people following them because regardless of where there was something about their presence they either got the devil stirred up or people wanted to be saved and normally it was both things 
at the same time. They had the devil stirred up, and people wanted to be like them. That's the reason that you could have 3,120 on one day and receive the Holy Ghost because they spilled out speaking in tongues. There was something in the presence of God was on them, but they were dedicated. You know, they'd been 10 days in the upper room. They'd been in, ten, in a 10-day fast. I'm sure they didn't have food brought in. Uh, and so they, they had been in this, so when they spilled out, there was something about this. And, and I still believe that you can have this. I've seen this. I've, I've tasted this. To where people just, I want what you have. And then you're able to, to talk to them. That doesn't mean you don't, you don't go ahead and, and, and plant the seed regardless of where you are. Uh, because the Bible speaks of it in that way. But I also believe that you can be in such a place to where people want to be in your presence. Because you are showing the holiness and the purity of Jesus Christ. And, and that's, I, I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in that. So, it, to be holy means that one is wholly dedicated to God in every aspect of his life. It involves remaining completely free from anything that is contrary to God. And Romans, again, 12, 1 and 2, expresses well the concept of complete consecration to God. We must present ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him, and we must not conform to the model of this present world. Holy also demands service. The ancient Jews considered the priesthood as a position of high honor. And those who aspired to the priesthood had to possess the proper lineage according to the law of Moses in Ezra 2.62. Further, their bodies had to be free from imperfections of any kind, and their marriages were governed by the law. God desired a priesthood that was pure and holy. And those who did not meet God's qualifications and were not completely dedicated to Him could possibly lead the nations astray from the laws of God. Now this happened <coughs> Excuse me, when Eli was the high priest. The sinfulness of his sons resulted in the people, or Israel rather, treating the things of God with contempt. You can see that in 1 Samuel 2.17. Why? Because being in the priesthood, Eli did not control his sons who were helping him. And as a result of that, the people treated everything that was godly with contempt. There is place... <clears throat> There's a place, and you all know how I feel, I feel about this, there's a place in the church uh, to be jocular. You can joke and you can have a good time. But you can never, ever joke about the things of God. You never make light of the doctrine. You don't make light of the goodness of God, His righteousness, His purity, His holiness. You don't make light of that. This is something that should always be held to the highest. And, and I know that um, I've been reading recently some, some areas, and, um, uh, and it, it was denominal reading, but, but just talking, this, this particular man was, was speaking of, of his, relationship, his relationship with the church and congregation and so forth. And, and uh, you know, he was speaking how that, that you can get so so burnt out with just doing the mechanics the mechanics of the church that you you even though you have a prayer life you don't have a prayer life now maybe you don't quite understand what i'm saying but you can get mechanical in prayer you can get down because i got to spend my time in prayer i'll spend my time in prayer but you don't really pray you pray because it's expected out of you but you don't get a hold of god 
And you can do that in every aspect uh, of, of the church. This is God's glorious church. And the things of God are to be held in high esteem. And I think that sometimes the purity of how you think about the, the things of God, how you think about the doctrine, how you think about your relationship with God, that it can get into your mind and, and can become so normal, so so just a part of your life that it doesn't... I, I, I'm not trying to speak in riddles, and I'm not trying to be a Buddhist here, but it, it's not really a part of your life. And it's just mechanical. It's just, I do this. I'm just a, I'm just a, 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 a little doll that you pull the ring on its back and it says what it's supposed to say. That was back in my day. Chatty Cathy, do you remember that? I didn't have one. I'm just saying that. I didn't even have a G.I. Joe because I thought that was too girl-like. I was raised in a time when men were men and women were women. Good preaching, isn't it? Don't you think it still should be? But you know, it 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 it, it can be that way. We can just repeat and, and we forget the glory of what this is all about. When you get in prayer, have you ever hit the channel? That's the best way of saying it. You, know, you hit the channel where you're you're tuned in and everything just falls in place and you can feel the Holy Ghost and it's just all over you. Sometimes it can be in just thanksgiving. Sometimes it can be in petitions. Sometimes it can be just in spending time with God. I, you know, there's been those times when I've got down in prayer and I felt like I was kneeling right before the throne. And everything you said had 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 power behind it. Everything that you asked for, you knew God heard. It's because you begin to take your part in what is the glorious church. You begin to see your role. You begin to see who you were in God's eyes. God allowed you to see that, and that's the place. You, but you cannot do this without the purity. And please, when I say this, I'm not expecting people, I don't care who you are, and especially if you're new, if you're, you're going to be, all of us are toddlers. And toddlers fall. And as you, as you progress in the kingdom, you get to be a little stronger in the legs and you get to walk a little better. But I don't care who you are, you still fall. Some people laugh when you fall. My wife does that. I'm talking about in the literal sense. The ice all over out here one time. I'll never forget it. It's out here at the mailbox. Snow covered. I got out to get the mail for the church. And I, you know, I didn't know I was going to fall. I didn't even realize it happened. I just got out, and the next thing I knew, I was looking up in the air. <laughs> and, you know, I could have broke my back, my neck, my head, and she was laughing. She was sitting on the other side laughing. Sometimes, sometimes you can be walking along with God, and all of a sudden you wind up on your back. And you don't know what happened. It is a devil that trips you. Yeah, it's just he just trips you, and you're laying there, and you say, "How did this happen?" Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Am I just crazy? Anybody, anybody understand that? Well, you know, you don't quit because we all, we all, you know, yes, we are pure in heart, and we we strive for more purity, and we strive for His righteousness, but we do fall, we do make mistakes, regardless of how long we've served God, it still happens. But you don't quit. You say, okay, God, this is where I don't want to, I, I don't want to do this again. 
I want to be able to, to overcome this. And it comes a time when you just get into the flow and you just, you just, you're flowing. And even when you fall, well, I've got to be careful with this statement. I think it's a proverb 16. Well, I'd have to look it up. I, maybe I have it here. Uh, oh, here it is. Proverbs 16 and 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. So anytime that someone comes up to you and says, you know, why do bad things happen? Well, it's because God created it. Are you with me? We're talking about purity. How could wicked things have anything good? God created the wicked for the day of evil. If there wasn't wickedness out there, there'd never be any temptations, trials, or tests. If there wasn't any temptations, trials, or tests, we would never know what we're made of. We would be nothing but automatons. So God created the wicked for the day of evil. So the time that you're laying on your back looking up, God created the one that tripped you. Okay? We're talking about purity. We're talking about a glorious church. How does wickedness add to gloriousness? Raise your hands. Go ahead. You're going to have to. When you? When you give praise. Okay. Go ahead. Say that again. Perfect us. And the Bible says that in Peter. He sent those things to establish and to perfect us. We're perfected by this. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. So then bad things work for good. Anybody want to dispute that? So when you go out, no, 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 no I'm, I told you I'm going to get... Now you go out and you sin. And you're nasty, and you're perverted, and you're bad. That's working for good? How about it, Charles? Say that again. Right. Not to yield them. But how does that work for good when the, all things work together for good to them that love God? What then, what does that prevent? Self-righteousness. So self-righteousness can be just as bad as the worst perversion. Go ahead. And, and that's exactly right, because if you don't see what you are, you can hide yourself under a cloak. You can cloak, you can think everything is fine with me, and you can hide it. I, I, you know, I don't know why I'm getting into this, but I feel like it's just the right vein to be in right now. Uh, because I feel like that is a part of what God's glorious church is. We can't be a pure church until we can see ourselves for what we really are. Until we can see that self-righteousness can be just as damnable as someone going out and committing fornication. Now, you see, some of you, you're back there agreeing with me, but yet you don't agree with me. But yet it's the truth. 
When you get to the point where you feel like that you have no sin in your life, that you are perfect, and nothing, and this is the reason that sometimes when you've been to feel that way, that you wind up on your back looking up. Because God's allowed you to see that this is not the case. I, I know, and, and I, I, I go back, and uh, forgive me this morning if I'm doing just a little bit of rambling, but I, I, still, I still go back to that point to where in the Holy Ghost, everything exists in the Holy Ghost. And what God has put in you, all power, all the spiritual gifts, everything exists in the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit exists in the Holy Ghost. Because the fruit is only one thing, and that is love. Love is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Everything exists in there. But we have this wonderful power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. You've got this wonderful power to be witnesses, yes, but there's this power that will show you things to come. There is this power that that guides you and leads you into all righteousness and goodness. There is this power that can show you. But yet, we, we, we sit on this, we get into one area, and we don't leave that area. Some people, it is all in standards. Some people, it is all in love. Some people, it's all in gifts. Some people, it's all in music. Some people, it's all in preaching. Some people, it's all in Bible studies. And we get into those areas, and, and, and all of this panorama, which all of this is foundational, all this is a part, but what God can do through us and with us is so much greater, so much bigger. This is what the glorious church is all about. You go back, you go back to the book of Acts, and you read the book of Acts. You read it, you reread it, you read it, you reread it. You look at it, and you see the potential that the church has. And I realize that we have to live in the world. I realize we have to have jobs. I realize we have all that. But, I, you know, the apostles lived in a, in a hard time. You, you think about this. You think about this. At the time, at the time of the apostle Paul, when he wrote in Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, about the man of sin that was going to be uh, shown to the world, the Antichrist, and uh, he talks about him. But at the time that he penned those words, there was slavery openly all over they used to they used to take whole villages into slavery they would leave children that they didn't want at the side of the road just leave them there and hope that some slave trader would come by and pick up this child that they didn't want and this was a terrible time to be alive in jesus you know this was a bad time this was right after the after the, the crucifixion resurrection and the church was there to, to, to operate in this time of evil. And it, and it did. And, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, came to God, were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. Thousands and thousands of them did. And yet, that, yet you see that Paul pins these words, there's going to be a time that comes that's worse than this. And he said, the only thing that's going to hold back that man of sin, he that will let, will let until he be taken out of the way. And the word let means to restrain. And that is the church. Until the, when the church is taken out of the way, then evil like no one has ever seen is going to be rampant on this world. 
When the church is gone, if you're still here, you're going to see evil like you wouldn't believe evil. And we see the seeds of it right now. You see how people are turning away from God. You see how uh, the confusion in this world. It's there. It's confusion on every, and on every level. We've got the church people that are confused. People that would never have let down on their, their relationship with God that are, that are letting down now because they're confused. Had a few bad things happen in your life and all of a sudden you chuck God out the window. When there is going to be an evil here, and again, you just you go back and you study your history. When Paul wrote those words, when God inspired him, he said, now you said the churches in the world to combat the evil in Paul's time. And Paul said, there's going to be a time that's going to be worse than this. And he said, the only thing that's going to restrain it for a season is the church. And when that church is taken out of here, when the rapture takes place, the catching away of the church, then evil is going to be let go. So what you are a part of right now is a restraining force. That's why we are a glorious church. We are a restraining force that is holding back evil on every aspect. You know, you can say what you want and you can make excuses all you want to, but the point is that right now, right now we are living in a time when we are so close to some of the worst times that mankind has ever seen that you can't even imagine it. I was talking, and you know, I don't normally like to, to say this, but I have found myself recently doing this with, my, uh, with Samuel. I, I forget what the conversation was. It's been a week or so ago. I was talking about bad things. And, and I just told him, I said, Samuel, I said, one day things are going to be a whole lot worse than what you see now. And I know he's eight years old. And, you know, he looks up at me and he said, worse? I said, yeah. I said, worse. I said, the church is going to be taken out here. You and I won't be here. We're going to go to heaven. But I said, after that's over with, I said, this world is going to be so wicked that people can't even imagine right now. You know, the greatest, the, the, the most terrible thoughts that you can have in your mind will not cover what's going to happen during the tribulation period. We, don't, we do not have a clue. We can talk about it, we can preach about it, and you can get touched by it. But on the other side of it, you don't have a clue. That's why if I was doing anything that would, would mess with my purity, I would certainly be making some changes in my life. I would certainly be making some changes. It is not worth losing. Losing out. It is not worth losing out. And thank God for the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you and to your children, to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 You know, Jesus did not go to the schools to, in the temple to recruit his disciples. He went to where people were. And where they were busy working. He called fishermen. He called a hated tax collector and a, and a zealot. Men of varied and commonplace backgrounds. Jesus knew these men would be able to continue his work after he was gone. Jesus always considered the potential of those whom he called. Saul of Tarsus seemed an unlikely candidate uh, for a missionary. But Jesus knew that he could become this. And, and, and you know, and this, is, this is true even today. The Lord sees something in each believer that will enhance his kingdom. Everybody has something about them that will enhance the kingdom of God to make it work well. You know, thank God for somebody can run sound back there. Thank God for somebody that can run the PowerPoint. You may not think that is very much, and I may be, maybe I scare you. I don't mean to. Uh, it's not at all. I just, uh, I just get caught up. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm very kind in heart. 
loving person. And uh, I just like things perfect. That's all. Nothing wrong with being perfect. Bible says be ye perfect, which means sincere. Okay. But, you know, thank God that there is somebody that, that can do this. Every aspect, God has got something for people to enhance. To enhance. And, and that is, so, that is so, so vital. You know, we are, and I spoke of it earlier, we're a royal priesthood. First Peter is an epistle written to all believers. The people of God, and the people of God in chapter 2, Peter recognized that the believers comprised the priesthood of God. They were the, ho- the holy, they were royal. First Peter 2, 1 through 10 speaks of this. The world may not regard us highly, and it doesn't really matter what the world regards us, because when the world begins to accept you, then you lose your witness. When you're accepted, you're no longer different. And different is what draws people, not being the same. So we lose, we lose our witness when we become accepted. Um, one of Paul's chief regrets was that uh, was his persecution of the church before his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Because of this, he considered himself to be the least of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, he wrote to the Galatians that he had tried to destroy the church in Galatians 1.13. To Timothy, Paul further stated that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and he added that he was chief among them in 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul's great message to those to whom he was writing was that if he could be saved... God could save anyone. You see, that, that's, what his, that's the whole point of all that he said. If God can take me, a persecutor and a killer of Christians, and make something like this out of me, then he can do that for anyone. I don't care who you are. And you listen to what I just said earlier. We're going to see a wicked time. The only thing that's holding back the wickedness is the church. And the best thing to do is to be a part of that church. The best thing you can do is be a part of that which is holding back the wicked one. I want to be the part of that which is going to go up one day. I, 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 I've always desired and I've never been one of those who have said, Well, I, everything's going my way. I just knew the Lord wouldn't come in the next year or two. I've wanted the Lord to come since the day I got up from speaking in tongues. I have wanted that and I desire that. If it was up to me, he would have come a long time ago. And I think every one of us need to begin to feel that way. I want Jesus to come. He said, but we've got to reach the lost. Yes, we do. We reach as many as we possibly can. But until we begin to... I, I, I believe that when we start desiring to go to heaven, God will bring the lost to us. He'll put us in a position to do more. I said 2009 was a year of completion. There's been a lot of completion in my life this year. There's been a lot of completion. I'm hoping next year we see the influx that I feel like God's going to give us. And, and it's going to be through planting of seed, but God's going to do the work as well. It's going to take that because we're going to begin to purify ourselves or we're going to begin to, to, to desire and to dedicate ourselves to God more than ever before. And every aspect of church ministry, it's not just a matter of one area of evangelism. It's going to be a matter of everything that we do. We're going to have a mindset of evangelism. That's I've had that for a long time. I've hoped the church could do the same thing. It's a mindset. It's wherever I am, whatever I do, I have got that primarily. That's dedication to God. Why? Because it pleases God. If you don't love people, do it to please God. 
Okay, now you say, well, that's a bad thing to say. The Bible says, first and foremost, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Is that correct? So if I want to love him, then I want to please him. It pleases him to see people saved. So I'm pleasing him. If you don't love people, the second great commandment. If you don't love people, do the first commandment. Got that. All right. So, you know, I am uh, not only, I'm going to finish up with this. Not only is the church to be a force to hinder evil in this world and, and a place where souls are saved, but it also is to become the bride of Christ. Psalm 45, 13 and 14 describes the presentation of a bride to her bridegroom, the king. She was glorious, both inwardly and outwardly. She wore a beautiful clothes. She smelled of sweet perfume. And prophetically, these verses describe the church, the bride, who is to join her bridegroom, Jesus Christ himself. The bride of Christ will be perfect without blemish, without spots on her garment, without wrinkles in her wedding clothes. In other words, the bride of Christ must be holy and ever since, pure and perfect. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth that he wanted to present them to Christ as a pure virgin. We must carefully prepare ourselves to be joined to Jesus Christ. If this is what God looks for in the church, then we have to carefully prepare ourselves. I, I want to say this is just a point of modesty. I, you know, a lot of times I make light sometimes of marriages because I'm sometimes embarrassed when I'm standing up here before some of these brides who have everything showing. Ashton was so modest. I was so proud of her. I was so proud of her. I, 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 I you know, I'm one of those, it's just lucky I didn't tell the whole church that this, this, is, this is how a bride's supposed to look. I probably should have. But, you know, I told her up here, I said, was this proud? Because she was, she was modest. And, 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 you know, you look at that, and this is how, this is how God wants us to be. He wants us to be. He, he don't want us to look like something off the street. We came off the street, but we don't have to look like you know, off the street, you know. Yes, all of us did, but there needs to be changes in us. A continual change, a continual growth. I know that people don't understand it and get it completely all at once. I realize that. And I'm, I'm, I, God's long-suffering, and I'm going to be long-suffering. But on the other hand, when you know to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's better to have not known the way of truth than to know it and turn back. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's vital for us in these times. We need to hear about the coming of the Lord more than ever before because he is coming so soon i want to be ready more than anything else let's stand i'm not going to make a whole mention that um, I, I everybody turn around and look at pete back there pete wave your hand that's pete he's he's new to church so i have introduced him there he is good looking guy isn't he good looking guy well he's uh He's going to be facing some surgery here in three weeks. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but he's going to be facing some surgery. And, um, and I didn't make mention earlier, but I feel like now we're just going to ask God to touch him and to be with him. Some of you that are real close to Pete, turn around there and, and lay hands on him while we pray, okay? And uh, just, just turn around there.